The finish line is now clearly in sight. The Dodgers lead the Rays three games to two, heading into game six of the World Series. The leadoff single made it interesting, as it did in the eighth inning, but the Dodger bullpen, unlike a night ago, holds in game five, and Los Angeles is one win away from their first World Series title since 1988. We check in with Matt Vaskersian, who is calling the games for MLB International, with his thoughts on the series to date. I'm Dan Schulman, and this is a swing and a belt. Two balls and two strikes to Brandon Lau. Into left field and well struck. Taylor back, and it's gone. He got him. Wow. Matt Fasgersian is a baseball guy. Born in 1967, same as me, Matt started his career in the minor leagues with the Cubs' rookie league affiliate in Huntington, West Virginia in 1991. Six years later, after a number of stops in the minors, Matty took over as the Brewers play-by-play announcer and would later have the same job for the Padres before moving to MLB Network in 2009. He has been a studio host there ever since, calls games there, is now the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, and also calls the World Series for MLB International, which as the name implies, broadcasts the series for everyone outside the U.S., including Canada where his call alongside Buck Martinez can be seen on Sportsnet. How you doing, Matty? Dan, doing well. Uh, enjoying the World Series. Thanks for the the work up there. I, I feel like I should be older than I am now. <laughs> you know what I was going to say? <laughs> I've done a lot of these, and I write this little intro. Yours was the longest one I've written. I don't know if that means I like you more or if it's impressive <laughs> or that's a seven-line intro I just read. Like, I've had really important people on here. I get rid of them in three lines. This is unbelievable. <laughs> I, don't think it, I don't think it implies importance. I think it implies just the fact that I'm a vagrant and I've moved around a lot, as uh, all of us have in this great industry that we work in. So your business card's like the size of like an index card, right? I mean, because it's got so much stuff on it, I guess. <laughs> you just you just omit the, uh, I mean, stuff just falls off, right? I mean, right. I, I'd forgotten I was the voice of the Milwaukee Brewers on TV for five years until you reminded <laughs> me of it. <laughs> well, we may have to dig up some sound just to prove it to you a little bit later on. So uh, a little peek behind the curtain for listeners. So Maddie and I see each other remotely every day of the World Series because we do Zoom calls with the managers. And on the one side, you have our ESPN radio crew, myself, Chris Singleton, Jessica Mendoza, Buster Olney. And on the other side, you have the MLB International crew, Matt Vaskersian and Buck Martinez. We share our time with the managers. I don't know about you. I mean, I love the information. But in this pandemic world we live in, it's also kind of like my social life sometimes these days a little bit. It's great to see you guys every day. I feel the same way. And I was telling somebody at MLB Network about that very experience the other day. It's the they're the two moments during your pregame prep where you have interaction with somebody and where you feel like things aren't completely abnormal mm -hmm. because none of this is normal. None of the workflow the fact that we haven't traveled and been at a ballpark. I mean, I had two occasions to be at the ballpark doing division series games on MLB Network, and it, it was really weird. Yes, it was nice to be back at the ballpark, but uh, with no fans in the ballpark and, and everybody kind of masked up and going through protocols, as we all should be, of course, it just was a foreign experience that uh, I, I hope we can put to bed 
before spring training next year. I, I don't know that to be the case, mm-hmm. but we're all kind of hopeful that we don't, we don't have to call games from studios and empty ballparks uh, moving forward. Yeah, I hope so. So you're dealing with basically the same stuff that we're dealing with calling the World Series. So, um, and you're working with a great guy in Baku, obviously I work with on Blue Jays games. So everybody knows, you know, how much fun that is. And you guys have been doing it together for a few years. Give me just kind of a, a quick sneak peek at, at your setup at MLB Network, calling it for MLBI and how it's been going for you so far. Yeah, we're in a small room at MLB Network, uh, which is located in Secaucus, New Jersey, which used to be the mail room at that place. And now it's a studio? It's a studio now, yeah. <laughs> so it's not big. It's the studio that I'm with Harold Reynolds in, in the off-season for our morning off-season mm. talk show called Hot Stove. So I go from sitting next to Harold, who I love, who doesn't pay much attention, to sitting next to Buck doing World <laughs> Series games who pays a lot of attention. Yeah. So for me, it's really a, it's kind of a treat, but it's a small room. You know, we have six to eight monitors, I think. Yeah, that's the right number. It's six. And we have what we need in there. There's really, you know, your limitations are pretty firm in terms of the tech and nobody's figured out a way to help us with a runner at first and a ball in the gap to know if he's being waved around because you can't (laughs) dedicate an entire monitor to the third base coach. So there are moments where you get caught, but the setup is comfortable, as is the case for you guys. We're pretty much in the building by ourselves once the game starts because about 20% of the workforce is at MLB Network, and then the later the night gets – the more that number dwindles. So I think our setup is very similar to yours doing Blue Jays games, which, by the way, I've told Buck, your studio setup really looks good on TV. And I I watch you guys a lot from MLB Network because we have the ability to dial into whatever feed, whatever telecast of any game. I find myself on you guys a lot, not just because I like you, but because you guys do a great job and we get actual information we can then steal from you. Uh, (laughs) But but your studio setup really looks good. I mean, if there's a way to do it right, you guys have figured it out up there. Yeah. So, well, Canada and the U.S. do, as you know, we we have very good relations, free trade agreement and all that sort of thing. So it's not stealing. You're just (laughs) you're taking it freely. That's fine. But, But I will say this and I've said this to anybody who's asked, and this is no disrespect to any national network or any of the other 29 teams broadcast crews I can't imagine how it could have been better for us in Toronto than it was we were in a huge studio uh, the Tim and Sid studio the afternoon show host Tim and Sid did their show remotely all through the the lockdown and we had an enormous studio and enormous monitors and honestly like as soon as I get back to Toronto I'm half considering just getting like a pull-out couch and a fridge and just living there in the winter <laughs> because I mean going home to my own tv so disappointing right now and and but you do what you can. And we, like you said, we all have the same looks pretty much. And there are those moments as a play-by-play announcer. And you can do a four-hour game, as we did a couple of nights ago. And it all comes down to that last play. And we had maybe the craziest World Series ending play that there's ever been and had to call it off monitors. And, and I know, man, do I wish I had a do-over on the play that ended game four. I've heard your call. It was great. So take me through the 15 seconds of profuse sweating as you're trying to call live this craziest play that's ever happened off a bunch of monitors. And Phillips is cashed in. A base hit back up the middle. Here's Kiermaier to score. The ball's mishandled. And now they've got a Rosarena to run down. A Rosarena scores and the Rays have won the game. Santa Maria. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what, what happened on our feed. There was, I mean, this is almost one of those uh, mistake stories like the cameraman for NBC who in 1975 saw the big rat in the wall uh, and stayed on Carlton Fisk for whatever reason, and the shot became legendary. I, I don't know how well my call came off because I haven't watched it since. I despise my own work to the degree that I can't watch it as soon as it's over. But I felt okay about it at the time, if only for this reason. We caught a whip pan, and our director, who's very good, uh, has the, the difficult job of, with this telecast, mixing cameras from the Fox broadcast right. and some of his own dedicated cameras. So it's it's not an easy thing. And for people, it's not to get too inside TV here thing, but it's a world feed marriage and it's tough. So when he's switching from camera to camera, trying to follow the action remotely from the truck, occasionally, even a really good director might get caught. And our guys got caught and they picked up a whip pan, a mistake shot, if you will, of one of the infielders reacting and it, it tipped me off as to what had happened with the errant throw because th it was impossible to follow the action properly sitting in the studio, as you discovered as well. Mm -hmm. I, I can't remember which, which player it was, but we caught a shot of an infielder. And in the background of the shot, I saw a runner. And it was the only thing that led me to guess that the ball had gotten away at the plate and that we had this chaotic moment. And again, I, I, I don't know by comparison, how we photographed it based on how Fox photographed it. I heard Neil Solon's call, uh, who is the Rays play-by-play -play man on the radio, driving home that night on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. And his was good. And I thought, wow, I wonder if he was working off of our monitor or off of the Fox show. I think they're there. I think Rays Radio's in the ballpark. I oh, gosh, good for yeah. them. Well, then that explains why his call was good, because he had the – the perspective of the whole field. Yeah, it was a challenge for us. And um, you've probably experienced the same kind of stumbling blocks I have, like on pedestrian action, you know, pitches, ground balls hit right at people, no big deal. But with the shift being employed the way it is, you can't guarantee that a line drive up the middle is ever going to get through anymore because mm -hmm. there's usually a guy standing there now. And balls in the gap are treacherous for us because mm -hmm. <laughs> with a guy on, you just don't know if he's being sent around. So you have to wait. Your call sounds late. You sound like you're a little slow, but that's the landscape, and we, we just do the best we can. I got to tell you, this is so therapeutic for me to hear you say these things. Like, like <laughs> John, you know, uh, Boog Sham, John Shambi is one of my good friends, and he and I have talked a couple of times. And it's just like, uh, you know, I can be his therapist or he can be my therapist, right? It's just, oh, you're feeling that too. I'm so happy, you know, because we've all been doing this. Like, we're not kids, right? We've been doing this a long time. But if this makes sense, it makes me feel a little bit better that you're experiencing some of the same things that I am. You know, the good news is it's not like somebody would try a straight steal of home in a World Series game while we're calling it off mom no. or anything like that. That could never happen. Never, <laughs> never would that happen. How did that go for you? Because we were late on it. I mean, it's just you don't know what's going on until you see the shot. So uh, how'd that one go for you guys? A little late, like a misdemeanor, not a felony, like a little late. So, mm. and it's like you, it's funny that you said that, you know, you saw somebody move out of the corner of your eye and it tipped you off. That's what I had on the straight steel, but I don't remember what it was. I think I heard something and this is because there weren't many fans in the ballpark, I guess, but just a split second before Kershaw 
stepped off and threw home, I heard something. And I don't know why, because it's not like you call straight steals of home very often, but yeah. it tipped me off to, oh my, it, it, he might be coming. And then I looked at the all nine, which as you know, is the monitor above home plate that shows us the whole field where we can get a wider look. So I think I got there just before Margot got there, but but not by much. <laughs> yeah, the, that was the moment of Game 5 that I think swung the momentum, too. I mean, look, yeah, he steals home sure. and, and he's safe, and that dugout goes crazy, and here we go again with another kind of perhaps merry-go-round offensive performance, the likes of which we saw in Game 4. Instead, the Rays had a hard time generating anything after that moment, and it was done for the most part. How much have you and Buck talked about the Kershaw legacy narrative over the course of this World Series? We've talked about it. I don't think we've harped on it. You know, Buck is he is so incredibly conversant on every aspect of this game, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, from a historical standpoint or a technical standpoint. I think whenever we go down the Kershaw road, we've kind of gotten into the technical stuff, the quality of his pitches, the shape of his slider which he didn't really have in game five until later on in the night. Uh, it wasn't as sharp early on for him. I'm not one that buys into the whole, he has to win one and he's a big game failure. I, I just, I just don't buy it. I think there are too many things that have contributed into those nights for him in the past. Yes. I mean, the fact is that he has not, he has not had the results that he's had during the regular season, but knowing what we know now about the Astros, I'm willing to throw all of 2017 out. And I know the Astros have been very firm in their denial that anything was happening during the postseason that year and that the only thing that was proven in the commissioner's report were regular season shenanigans. As a born skeptic, and I have a right to be, I just have a hard time thinking that a team that won and had so much success with a certain methodology was going to say, I, you know what, let's stop doing that now that the stakes are highest. I just don't buy that. That's not human nature. So I'll add that into the Kershaw story, and it, it helps me discount all this postseason failure stuff for him. He's on the verge of putting all that to bed because he's thrown the ball twice in this World Series, and he's been excellent once and very good the second time. Mm -hmm. And if they win, he's got an excellent chance to be the World Series MVP, which would be poetic for him and... I'm with you 100%. I think he's gotten a bit of a raw deal in the whole October thing. I think the Cardinals may have had his signs once or twice way back in the day. And there were definitely times, and I know there were because I was there calling the games, there were two or three times where they didn't have anybody to get from the starter to Jansen and Kershaw was the guy. And that's tough. You know, that's, that's tough. Yeah. And I don't think he's going to be asked to do that. Even if this goes seven... I don't know about you. I think we've seen the last of them. I don't think there's any situation other than maybe, you know, Bueller getting knocked out by a line drive in the first inning and now they need everybody. Other than that, I don't think we're seeing Clayton Kershaw again. Do you? I agree. Uh, I yeah. agree. And that's why I think that, uh, you know, even if the Dodgers win it in six, I don't think that the World Series MVP is coming his way because there have just been too many great offensive performances. And I, he's a candidate for sure. I'm not saying he's not in the mix. Uh, but right now, as it stands, between Seager, Turner, and Muncie, mm. Max Muncie blows my mind. I mean, we've we have nicknamed him Count Full Count uh, <laughs> on the MLB International feed because the guy is just a fearless two-strike hitter. We should have this number, but uh, somebody will have it for us, perhaps uh, in advance of the next game. How many of his O2 counts have resulted in full counts? And then, regardless of what the final outcome of the plate appearances 
the guy just doesn't go away. For, for a guy with his skill set who'd been released three years ago by Oakland to be batting cleanup every night in the World Series speaks to how they value him. The 3-2 swing and a drive. He got all of it. Oh, baby! And he knew it off the bat. Santa Maria! And uh, I think between those three guys, you might have a repeat of 1981 when the Dodgers had three right. co-MVPs in their win over the Yankees. Yep. Do you guys love G-Man Choi on your telecast as much as we love him on our radio broadcast? <laughs> we do. I mean, I'm fascinated by this guy, as you guys are, I'm sure, too. And I still haven't gotten to the bottom of this uh, this poltergeist story because apparently the guy sees ghosts everywhere he goes. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know if it's a shtick. Or if he really believes that he's being followed by ghosts. And are they friendly? Are they helpful? Is it the same ghost? Is it only at the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee? So many questions I have for this guy. But yeah, we love him too. Look at this pickup with a split. Normally, you don't commit that, fa that fast to the split. And he gets it like a catcher or a goalie short hop. And he can do the splits, like above and beyond the whole ghost thing. He does the splits every night, too. So he he is something else. All right, let's wrap up with something completely off topic. Give me your best, I can't believe this happened to me when I was a minor league broadcaster kind of story. What do you got? Oh, man. Uh, oh, wow. Good one. In 1993, uh, I'm working for the El Paso Diablos, and they were at the time considered a real kind of leading edge team in promotions. They packed the ballpark, and when I say packed in double-A Texas League baseball, it was 6,500 people a night, which to us back then was 40,000 people. Right. They used to do great giveaways. They had theme nights, uh, fireworks, etc. One of the things that they did that many minor league teams did not, however, was spend the money to fly in Hall of Fame major league players for autograph signings prior to select games. So on one fine occasion, I was tabbed to go drive to the airport and pick up Bob Feller <laughs> in my 82 Celica that I was driving <laughs> at the time. So I identify Rapid Robert at the uh, luggage carousel. He's by himself, the greatest living right-hander. And I pick him up and I drive him back to the ballpark. We chat a little bit. He was unfamiliar with where to go to change into his uniform because apparently Bob, who did this quite extensively, traveled with a Hall of Fame uniform that he wore while of he signed he autographs. <laughs> so as we were standing um, in the empty ballpark, the empty grandstand, right in front of the table that he was going to occupy for the next two hours, he opened up a suitcase, took off his pants, <laughs> and uh, changed into his Hall of Fame uniform. <laughs> And uh, he was a man in his late 70s or early 80s. And I, right. I just didn't need to see it. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to be in show business, huh, kid? <laughs> right. right. That's a great story. So, well, uh, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for this. Congrats on everything. We, you and I were joking on our Zoom call before Game 5. Are we still in our primes? Where are we right now? But I know I feel blessed. I know even as a skeptic, as you said, I know you feel blessed. We're very lucky to be calling the World Series and to be working through this. So uh, stay well. I hope everybody in your life is doing well. And we'll see you on the Zoom call. Same right back at you, Dan. Thanks. Good talking to you. Many thanks to Matty V for his time. Like me, he is calling the series remotely, which is a challenge. 
but of course it is still a blessing and a whole lot of fun. That'll do it for this episode of A Swing and a Bell, produced by Christian Ryan. Enjoy the rest of the series. And until next time, I'm Dan Schulman.